0: section 29 of charles the second by osmond this librivox recording is in the public domain read by pamela nagami chapter four charles louis and parliament part eight courtin did not overstate the case when he asserted that in all this matter charles and james stood absolutely alone against the wishes of the whole kingdom and yet within three months We are startled to find the king taking a fresh step in which he had the sympathies of the nation at his back and which practically if not verbally cut right athwart his engagements to louis well might that monarch remark l'angleterre est un état qui ne demeure pas longtemps dans la même assiette in september 1677 william of orange arrived on a visit to charles at newmarket where as usual nothing was ostensibly talked of but dogs and horses although both his errand and the answer to be made to him were so perfectly understood that he wrote to the states-general announcing the step he was about to take it was not until he returned with the court to westminster toward the end of october that he formally asked for the hand of james's eldest daughter mary to whose peaceful and domestic disposition temple had given a strong testimonial haste and secrecy were alike necessary if the matter were to be arranged without impediment danby alone was consulted and he with both charles and james avoided all reference to it until the last moment it was of especial importance that barillon should be kept in ignorance wooing there was none and barillon was not informed by charles that the marriage was decided upon until bonfires were blazing in the streets of london in satisfaction at the betrothal the greatest expressions of joy which i believe were ever in england except at the king's restoration and on november fifth no time being thus given to louis for remonstrance the marriage took place in the strictest privacy charles himself performed the last rites and the short homily which he delivered upon the duties and privileges of married life, as, after drawing the curtain about the bed, he turned to leave the room, may be read in the diary of Edward Lake, the grave young tutor of Mary and her sister Anne. There can be little doubt that this marriage was the direct work of Danby, and it is one of the many proofs, as it is the strongest, of the remarkable ascendancy which that very able minister had acquired over charles the advantages of the match were indeed obvious to the king it would remove from his people he said to Barillon, their incurable jealousy of his designs in favor of the catholics the rock against which i must guard myself while william would now regard the interests of the crown as his own and would support them against shaftesbury and his friends and it is probable that there was yet another though unexpressed reason we believe that charles even now would far rather have obtained his money from parliament than from louis if only he could have arrived at some acceptable arrangement that he had by no means given up this hope and that he was a good deal ashamed or at least uneasy at the bargain with louis danby no doubt had his personal object To strengthen himself against the eager and implacable enemies whom he knew to be straining every nerve for his downfall. But his advice was in entire accord with the principles he had hitherto expressed, and he was assisted by William's clear perception that the close connection with the English royal house must strengthen him against both foreign and domestic trouble, besides giving him a hold upon England's foreign policy in the future. James was induced to waive his opposition by the belief that the marriage would enable men to look past himself to the Protestant husband of their future queen, and would thus weaken the objections to his succession. But probably still more by the clear and unreserved expression of Charles's mind. Odds fish! exclaimed the king, with that petulant contempt with which he more than once spoke of his brother, when he heard of possible difficulties on his part he must consent louis took the news of this virtual breach of faith in the grand manner and sent his ceremonial compliments with all punctiliousness but really although he had dreaded it for years he felt it as he would have done the loss of an army he never forgave danby and speedily as we shall see he showed his resentment toward both him and his master in a very practical form nobody seems to have thought much of the feelings of the little princess of fifteen upon whom were focused the plans of kings and statesmen and who was thus suddenly called from childhood into the glare and stress of an alien world on october twenty first she heard of her fate from her father and while it was great joy to all the city and everybody lady mary wept all that afternoon and the following day she had spent a singularly happy childhood with her sister her governess and her tutor the grief of her father and of her youthful stepmother to both of whom she was deeply attached intensified her own and she wept and would not cease weeping after the marriage she refused to go to whitehall she clung as it were to the protection of her home against the power of the cold and imperious man to whom she had been so unequally mated decked out in the jewels he had given her a ring worth ten thousand pounds a necklace valued at eight thousand pounds and with all her mother's jewels the child appeared at the play alone for her husband was busy within a week the court began to whisper the prince's sullenness or clownishness that he took no notice of the princess nor came to see her at st james but if he neglected mary he did not neglect what to him were at the time more important matters his business was to bring charles to his terms he was not the boy whom his uncle had made drunk for sport eight years ago he was as charles said the son of a father and mother whose obstinacy went to extremity and he liked them Resolute in action, steadfast in distress, calm and clear in political vision, he in turn gauged the weakness of Charles. "'Was ever anything,' he exclaimed to Temple with a gesture of surprise and contempt, so hot and so cold as this court of yours, "'will the king that is so often at sea never learn a word that I shall never forget since my last passage when in a great storm?' THE CAPTAIN WAS ALL NIGHT CRYING OUT TO THE MAN AT THE HELM, STEADY, STEADY, STEADY. THE NEW INFLUENCE WAS AT ONCE FELT. THE WAVERING RESOLUTIONS OF CHARLES WERE SHAPED BY THE WILL OF THE YOUNGER MAN. AND ON NOVEMBER twenty-third, CONDITIONS OF PEACE WERE SECRETLY PROPOSED TO LOUIS, WHICH WOULD HAVE ROBBED HIM, IN THE VERY FLUSH OF TRIUMPH, OF THAT NORTHEASTERN FRONTIER WHICH HAD SO LONG BEEN THE OBJECT OF FRENCH STATESMEN his answer was a haughty refusal and the discontinuance of the payments provided for in the last treaty charles in turn regarded that treaty as no longer in force and summoned parliament for january instead of at the end of april repenting his haste louis once more offered an increased grant to charles and a large present to danby and went half-way to meet the proposed conditions of peace both bribes and offers were refused through danby's steady conduct and on january tenth sixteen seventy eight a treaty was signed at the hague embodying william's terms and as in the triple alliance binding england and the republic to compel the assent of both france and spain ostend was handed over to charles provisionally as a place of arms on the continent The king put twelve thousand men in readiness, ordered the equipment of thirty ships, and at last recalled his troops from the French service. On February seventh, confident of the concurrence of Parliament, he opened the session with a speech which meant war with France, and he demanded supplies for ninety ships and forty thousand men. But the Shaftesbury opposition utterly distrusted the honesty of Charles's purpose. The marriage as being Danby's work was regarded by them with suspicion, and they affected to believe that this warlike language was once more assumed only to induce Parliament to give the king an army which he would straightway use to secure despotic power. To overthrow Danby and to secure liberty of conscience for Protestant dissent at home were as before their main objects, and for these they were ready again to render Louis free of all interference from Charles. In fact, since Danby joined William, they joined Louis. Unable to oppose openly the war policy which had the ready assent of the bulk of the country party, they determined to insist upon conditions of peace so onerous that Louis would be justified in continuing the struggle against the coalition, and at the same time, to render charles powerless to join that coalition in the first part of their plan they succeeded but farther than this they could not make head against danby's pensioners and the moderate men by a large majority the men in the ships were voted to support the alliance with the dutch and on february eighteenth a resolution was agreed upon to raise one million pounds to enable his majesty to enter into an actual war with the french king but louis was less than ever disposed to yield for he had struck another unexpected blow he had determined to extort peace as de witt had extorted it by the chatham exploit during march by rapid and skilful movements he made himself master of ypres and of the great city of ghent the effect upon public feeling in england was such that charles to keep his people within bounds was obliged to send troops to ostend but once more now that william was no longer by his side his habit of looking to france rendered straightforwardness impossible he privately assured barillon that he had no desire for war and that he would do all in his power to avoid it he was indeed in a pitiable state of perplexity afraid of the popular outcry but unwilling to commit himself to final measures he went on with his vain attempts to find a compromise satisfactory both to louis and to william his difficulties were increased by the current of popular feeling in the united provinces there also the union of william with the english royal family was looked upon with keen suspicion which was increased by the discovery of a secret article in the treaty of january binding charles and the states general to assist each other against their rebellious subjects, a discovery which prevented its ratification. Upon the people of the Republic, therefore, the capture of Ghent and Ypres had the effect which Louis had intended. Now that their own independence was beyond question, and that he declared himself willing to satisfy one of their essential demands by abandoning to Spain a strong barrier for her low countries, the Dutch merchants, thought only of their other great interest commerce which through england's freedom from war was every day passing into her hands and they clamoured for peace against them were temple and william who were supported by the whole body of the dutch nobility and who were so successful that all that the peace party could do was to secure from louis the offer of a truce of three months with the removal of commercial restrictions Charles saw in this a welcome excuse for withdrawing from his forced connection with the Republic. He laid the matter before Parliament april twenty ninth in a tone of anger that such a step should have been taken without his consent and requested its advice after several days of eager debate. A resolution of the most uncompromising adherence to a war policy was carried by a narrow majority to this vote so different from what he desired charles made no reply but he warned the commons that unless a supply were speedily given him he should be forced to lay up his ships and disband his troops the very step to which the shaftesbury party in fulfilment of their pledges to louis were now bent upon driving him the message raised a tempest in the house and the belief expressed by colonel birch that the whole matter was a work of darkness was fully justified Charles had been again in secret negotiation with Louis, and after the customary haggling had agreed that he would do his best to secure peace on terms favorable to Louis within two months, that if unsuccessful he would remain neutral and would recall and disband his troops except three thousand to be left in Ostend, and that he would prorogue Parliament for four months. For these services he was to receive a subsidy of 240,000 pounds a year for three years. This compact was drawn up and signed by Charles alone, for Danby once more refused to imperil his safety by adding his name. The suspicions of the commons again tended to reduce Charles to the powerlessness which Louis desired. On the very day of the compact, May 27th, They demanded either immediate war with France or immediate disbanding, and they provided money for the latter purpose. They gave him also an additional supply for other uses, tacking the bill to raise funds for disbanding onto that for the supply, so that they must both fall or pass together. Charles, having passed the bill, prorogued the Parliament, July 15th he found however an excuse more than sufficient in his eyes for ignoring the engagement to disband for the whole aspect of affairs abroad and with it his intentions had again undergone a complete change up to the end of june peace between france the dutch and spain had seemed assured for william himself regarded it as useless to struggle any longer against the cry of the whole commercial class only at the last moment an attempt on the part of louis to evade his terms threatened an immediate renewal of the war on the part of every nation engaged in a moment the provinces were in a blaze and william regained his ascendancy. charles underwent the same revulsion of feeling he refused to ratify his secret treaty with louis or to disband his troops in the spanish low countries declaring that his people would chase him from his kingdom if France were suffered to extend her conquests. He sent off Temple once more July 6th, in haste to make a strict alliance with the Republic, and on July 26th a treaty was framed which bound the Dutch to continue the struggle and England to declare war if Louis did not withdraw his pretensions by August 11th only one hour before the moment at which negotiations would have ceased at eleven on the night of august tenth sixteen seventy eight france and the republic signed the treaty which removed the most important member from the coalition and which gave the signal for the general peace of nijmegen bringing temporary repose at last to europe from the contest brought upon it by the treaty of dover one country alone or rather one person had come out of the struggle with marked discredit the position of charles was contemptible peace had been made without his concurrence and at last against his wishes he had lived by chicanery and his chicanery had ended in complete discomfiture louis now neither needing or fearing him met his appeal for part at least of the money he claimed with a contemptuous refusal In December 1678, the Lords joined the Commons in again insisting on immediate disbanding, a demand which he could no longer find an excuse for evading. And from that moment, baffled in diplomacy and crippled for war, he had no effective voice in continental affairs. End of section 29.